in this particular episode, I want to emphasize a little bit and really go through what happened so far in the iSpace. Uh, stick with me here because I'm doing it in a way that was not uh, prepared, meaning that I want to recall as, uh, as I go by the things that I believe are the most important right now in the iSpace, how we got so far and the whole timeline and where we're going next. Now, if you've been following the, the whole history of uh, AI, of course, we don't have to go back to the 50s and 60s. It's quite interesting to actually notice that, uh, you know, really AI, the AI space has uh, been going uh, through really um, boom and bust cycles, which are called, you know, summers and winters, meaning that, you know, there are there have been high periods where we got um, some innovations that we thought would have, would have brought us um, to a place where we never got, meaning that already by the 50s and the 60s in the AI space, many of the most important people that contributed to the space already uh, foreseen a future where we could, uh, uh, you know, uh, be uh, be able to uh, self-drive or, for instance, uh, have robots uh, take over and stuff like that. The interesting part is it's not like those people were foreseeing this stuff as, uh, you know, happening as a few, uh, let's say decades in the future actually each time that a prediction happened happened with a few uh, years ahead meaning that those people believe that in a few years we will be able to do those things through the AI and each time that actually there was this new AI paradigm then uh, we figured that uh, actually uh, things uh, didn't uh, seem to be working as we expected and therefore the AI plateaued and when it happened it created a winter that could have lasted you know from years to decades. That's the interesting story of the AI industry as it evolved. Now let's trace it to a couple of uh, main periods. We can call it probably the first period of, uh, of um, uh, AI which uh, was called symbolic AI meaning that um, the main field of AI has been dominated for many many years probably between the 50s to the 80s from a field of symbolic AI where you had this uh, sort of AI uh, that was driven by um, expert systems, meaning that it was feature driven. I spoke about it in a, an episode that I'm going to release uh, that is an interview with uh, Federico Fagino, who is the father of uh, the microprocessor in the 70s at Intel. Federico explained to me how this process works uh, because actually he uh, was an, a proponent of another kind of AI that I'm going to explain in, in a few seconds. But at the time, uh, symbolic uh, AI was about actually coding into the software all the features that the AI was supposed to follow to actually learn and actually do tasks. The belief there was that, you know, in order for the AI to learn, you should uh, and you supposed, you were supposed to give it uh, all the things that... Um, all the features to actually make it learn various tasks. Of course, this symbolic AI, why it was uh, very, very hyped throughout, you know, probably the, the, the 60s going to the 80s, it never uh, achieved uh, generalization, meaning that it could be good in doing very narrow stuff, but then it never achieved the capabilities of actually doing things uh, outside uh, its uh, the, the very, very, very narrow domain for which it had been coded for. In addition to that, uh, the, the main hurdle there was the fact that uh, even with symbolic AI, uh, it became clear uh, quite soon that even for the simplest tasks, it was very, very hard to actually specify the features, meaning that we didn't really know uh, how we uh, learn things in reality and therefore it was very hard to pass our learnings to the machine. That was a quite interesting take. And as we go through the 80s, mid 80s and then the 90s, um, 
the a new school starts to re-emerge again from the 50s and the 60s which was the sub-symbolic ai the sub-symbolic ai moved from the uh, moved away from the assumption that we needed to code features into the ai to make it work but instead it looked at uh, uh, what would uh, be called the neural networks to actually um, you know um, to, to to make the eye learn things now sim sub-symbolic ai meaning that you uh, employ a neural networks therefore those layers that that the machine could use to learn patterns from a specific data was not new because it was been uh, it was uh, invented already by the 50s with the first uh, sort of um, uh, neural net which was called the perceptron the perceptron was a very basic neural net which uh, already shown the interesting things that uh, neural networks could do however this was more like a single layer neural networks and the proponent of the, per the perceptron throughout the, the 40s and 50s up to the 60s they didn't you know, uh, were convinced that uh, those neural networks uh, could achieve anything, uh, sp you know, specific, uh, actually being able to generalize across tasks also, also because they didn't know uh, what would happen if uh, more layers were added on top. As we'll see, this actually would be a huge um, improvement, actually, what will lead to the current AI paradigm and evolution. However, back then it was not clear that uh, this kind of, um, of uh, system would have worked because when we were to add layers on top of layers things would, get, uh, would have gotten way more complex and the whole system uh, might not uh, produce the kind of outcome that, uh, that those people expected. So again here just to highlight that already by the 50s we had something like a perception which was supposed to be very simple neural network and uh, again the reason why it didn't work is because uh, we had uh, the, the primary school that uh, that dominated in that period was the the uh, the, uh, the um, symbolic one so the one where you needed to feature into the ai all the things that uh, you needed to do in order to perform a task so things started to to change again by probably the, the 90s and in the meantime we had the various uh, ai winters and summers where again at each time it is quite interesting because um, uh, we had the buds of ai meaning that uh, everyone in the field thought that we could do incredible stuff and then suddenly things stop and uh, uh, we have uh, many years of uh, uh, really uh, complete uh, halt of, of uh, the, the capability of AI, at least in the, in the commercial space, because of course in the research space, uh, people uh, keep working on potential approaches to, to AI. Now, the interesting thing is, again, uh, throughout the mid 80s, 90, and uh, I spoke about it with, uh, with Federico Fagin in the, episode, in the episode that I'm going to release, he explained to me that uh, by the mid 80s, he was working with uh, uh, neural networks, more precisely with, uh, with uh, deep, neural networks, meaning that uh, those are were neural networks where you added additional layers uh, on, on top of each other to uh, have a machine or an AI to actually learn patterns that it could use to perform specific tasks. The interesting part is though, uh, by the mid 80s, uh, while also people like Federico Fagin were working on um, making prototypes or making potential computers, smart computers with the general purpose ability, they didn't make it through, meaning that uh, it was still hard at the time to actually, with, the, with that current technology, to, to uh, create a generalized AI. Fast forward many, many years, I'm jumping to, you know, really 2012, uh, we finally got uh, way for AI to start doing something quite interesting and that happened, happened through uh, ImageNet. ImageNet was extremely important because actually while it was uh, neural networks uh, which is 
you know quite differently uh, quite different from the way uh, the architecture that that we have today which is the transformer base it was still quite interesting because um, it shown finally that uh, AI could uh, start to achieve interesting stuff like uh, doing also object recognition which was not something uh, easy to do for machines uh, at, uh, at scale also uh, the uh, the image of 2012 actually ignited again the interest in the ai space where many people started to go again in, into the ai space into research and this is a key to understand where we are today because many of those people that would go into the space into the AI space through the uh, the what was ImageNet in, tw in 12 in 2012 so by the fact that finally neural networks started to do incredible incredible stuff again uh, that really laid the foundation for the current AI paradigm that we have today. Now, going forward, by 2015, again, we uh, go to another commercial buzz of AI with the acquisition of uh, DeepMind by Google for over 100, $500 million. With the fact that uh, at the time, of course, uh, again, neural networks and deep um, um, neural networks and therefore machine learning became uh, really deep um, Neural networks became the, the AI that we talk about today, meaning that today when we talk about AI, in reality what we're talking about is really a narrow field within the AI which is called a deep learning. So the, the quite interesting thing is uh, in this current paradigm, AI has become equivalent with deep learning, even though deep learning has been is just a narrow domain within the AI space and it has been for many decades just and a non-important domain within that that same space so that's quite the, the interesting take as well now um 2015 going forward with uh, DeepMind, uh, you know again um an interest in the space and google as a company since the inception because let's remember even when google started with page rank uh, it uh, it looked at solving the the you know search problem by by looking at uh, uh, you know at the way to integrate AI, ai algorithm into into search so google has been an ai company since its uh, inception the interesting thing is as google invested in 2015 into deepmind this also uh, opened up a, a few um, you know the, the, again another foundation for the the kind of ai revolution that we're living through today and that happened because uh, you know once google acquired uh, deepmind to prevent Google to become, you know, a monopolizer into the space, uh, OpenAI was created by Elon Musk, uh, Sam Altman, and and, uh, and a few others to uh, actually. Uh, so they came together to actually um, create a research lab that uh, would have worked on open uh, and indeed an open AI approach to actually generalize and make also AI accessible to as many people as possible. Now, the interesting. You know, change happened in 2017 with the, when a new architecture came to the space, which was called the Transformer Architecture, which was presented by a bunch of Google scholars. And the interesting part is that as this architecture was scaled through more training data, more uh, and longer training for those large AI models, and in addition to that, more computing power available through cloud those uh, large language models start to do interesting stuff. So they started to become more and more generalized the more parameters they were given and the more you know they were scaled up. This opened up to the current AI revolution that we're living through day, where, where through uh, those days where we got really open AI that um, uh, you know conquered the space. And in 2019, Microsoft already understood the potential of OpenAI by putting a billion dollars into the partnership. And then in 2020, 
2023 putting even more billion dollars into the partnership the interesting part is until the moment ai have been um, quite interesting application to enhance uh, various capabilities uh, of uh, the software space and also of search google has been integrated for instance ai into the, the the search in many features from giving direct answers to translation and many other stuff like uh, uh, image uh, classification object recognitions and so forth However, the real change came in, uh, again, November 2022, when OpenAI released ChatGPT, which was a conversational, uh, conversational interface that opened up the whole race of AI that we're living through today. Now, of course, as we started to use those conversational interfaces, we also realized the major drawbacks. And one of those major drawbacks is that this AI is supposed to be generalized by, by, by nature, meaning that for, for the way the technology works is a general purpose technology that doesn't want to be constrained. So when you try to constrain it, either you limit its uh, scale and capabilities and therefore you limit its functionalities by a lot or otherwise you accept the fact that this technology is going to be able to, uh, you know, handle open-ended conversation but also those conversation can end up anywhere so that's why i argued uh, also on my newsletter and podcast here that uh, you know the, the um, adversarial space of ai might be as big as the AI space itself because of course we're going to see an uh, ai that um, is going to be looking at try to constrain those large language models and this is going to be extremely extremely hard uh, the research done by people like by teams like Anthropic is quite interesting and those companies uh, are already and will be already worth like billions of dollars because again constraining those uh, ai tools if you are able to by making them generalized while also safe is going to be something worth probably in the order of trillions now the interesting part so far is that, uh, you know, as the ChatGPT was released at the end of November by OpenAI, the, the thing seemed uh, magical. And uh, although its major limitations, it was uh, something that hooked millions of users. And after a few days, it had a few, uh, like a million users. And after a couple of months, it had 100 million users, something that we didn't see in years, not even with the rise of other tools like TikTok, which... Uh, was the last one of the uh, incredible uh, you know consumer application that got uh, huge traction the interesting part though is uh, as microsoft rushed into trying to integrate openai into as many products as possible uh, almost as if it wanted to uh, recoup its um, its uh, uh, lost uh, race over the years, uh, you know, against google it also showed the incredible uh, you know limitations further limitations of um, of, uh, of uh, the current AI technology, where in, when it was integrated into Bing AI, not, even though Microsoft had added an, a, top lay, a layer on top of, uh, of uh, ChatGPT, uh, which was called Prometheus, which was supposed uh, to, to ground and constrain uh, ChatGPT or like OpenAI technology underneath Bing AI, uh, this didn't happen. And uh, after just a few days from the, the launch in beta, of, uh, of Bing AI, this was uh, a prompt hack, meaning that uh, users uh, started to lead open-ended conversation with Bing Chat, which started to show uh, sort of not show meaning that it really felt them, but uh, it started to speak in an emotional manner, also uh, you know using language that was not uh, uh, always uh, appropriate. Therefore again raising the question whether this ai is actually suited suited for search and also showing that integrating this sort of conversational interface which are generalized into something like search which usually has been 
having a more narrow uh, set of uh, capabilities because for instance as a user you open a search session and then uh, you search for something and then you may close it and or even if you leave the tab open each time that you start a search it's a new one there is no uh, conversation going it's not like you start from a place and then you end in a tot totally different place you can do it but still there is not conversation going on and therefore uh, the, the, there is no open-endedness which is what instead is happening with the tools like ChatGPT. so now again the question is what's going on uh, what is going to happen next uh, we saw all the major limitations the major drawbacks uh, how is this going to evolve now my take here is that uh, this uh, current AI paradigm uh, is going to leave many of us uh, most probably that we saw the tool as magical as it was released it's going to leave us also uh, a little bit um, uh, let's say uh, less impressed over time with the fact that uh, this technology may not be able to do all the things that we thought it could. For instance, one example is if we're not able to integrate this conversational interface into search, it's going to show that we were wrong as soon as we saw it as a potential uh, alternative to search, which might be what is going to happen. And instead, what I think it might happen here is that uh, this technology might become a new uh, software layer which uh, makes the current software that we have much smarter. And if that happens, this is already a multi-billion dollars revolution that may make the software industry even more valuable. So if we got the software industry driven by SaaS, so software as a service that has, been, uh, that has become now a major industry, uh, if uh, this, AI, uh, you know, this AI paradigm actually becomes an additional layer on top of it that makes it way more valuable, then we already got something interesting from a business perspe perspective. If then this stops there, to me, that is good enough to actually create uh, that uh, sort of uh, you know, business, um, uh, you know, business revolution that uh, makes software way more valuable. Of course, we might not be able to release this technology at scale as a consumer technology in various spaces as it might become a technology that is very hard to unleash at scale. We're going to see that. Uh, and if that happens, of course, there is going to be all another story. So it means that this technology can pretty much empower a whole new set of uh, consumer applications that can be much, much wider than what we've seen so far. And if that is the case, then this um, business revolution may be way way bigger than just becoming an additional layer on top of software so that's what i'm saying here what we got so far we saw that uh, this technology is incredible though it has major limitations given by the fact that the way it is built it actually is a general purpose technology and it's very hard to to uh, really uh, constrain it and therefore it's very hard also to unleash it at scale because if you unleash it at scale then you lose the ability to constrain it as well or you might lose ability to constrain it as well but there are a lot of smart people working on that so there there is a range of possibilities uh, that go from the fact that this AI technology might simply be an additional software layer that makes our software industry way more interesting than it has been so far and therefore becoming like uh, uh, let's say a trillion dollar industry or we go to the uh, extreme and, and the extent to which this become a sort of new consumer layer that is so big and so powerful that expands the use of uh, the internet, the web and those AI applications to uh, billions of users worldwide and therefore it creates a, a multi, multi-trillion dollar uh, business opportunity. Though this is the situation so far and this is how things have been evolved, uh, evolving. I, I hope that this was uh, 
clear again i didn't plan it i just uh, went uh, through as a as a you know i recall the most important uh, things if you like the episode let me know because i might record and i want a little bit more prepared and schedule on how things evolved from the scratch from the beginning